Alright, so now we actually spent a, quite a long time, that's about two weeks ago, we talked about um, the met that that small section, the man with leprosy, and then last week we did talk about something else in Mark, um, I believe. No, it's just almost three weeks ago. Um, anyway, so it doesn't matter. But we are starting now in verse 5. Uh, the little section says the faith of the centurion. I can't ever pronounce that word correctly. Okay. Um, I don't, this is, at this point, I want you to know that Jesus has come off, he has come down from the mountain. Okay. Um, this isn't much, uh, much longer. He had already come off the mountain. He had given the Sermon on the Mount. That's everything we had read these past several, past couple months about, you know, um, divorce and love your enemies, ask, seek, and knock, and all these other things that we've talked about, um, what we call Sermon on the Mount. So now he's come off the mountain, and we're actually seeing him now begin to interact with people um, in a lot of different ways. He is confronting, we'll see him confront Pharisees and Sadducees, um, teachers of the law, um, those who were involved in kind of the religious leaders during that time. Um, we'll see him confront or or uh, talk to, uh, I guess, what we could say maybe normal people. Uh, I don't know if that's the correct word, but just your everyday people, you know, from coming from homes or walking down the streets, you know... Um, so the last time um, we we left, and he healed the man with leprosy. It wasn't immediately after he come down from the mountain. He heals the man with leprosy. So from then on, now we're going to start in verse five, and I want to read. I'm going to read this section, and then we're going to kind of go through it. It says, "When Jesus had entered Capernaum." A centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have, found an, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and take their places in the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But... The subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done for you as you believe it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. We're probably going to get a couple other sections to try to tonight, uh, but we're going to look at this section specifically um, right now. So what happened here? Jesus comes off the mountain. He meets this, he heals the man with leprosy, he meets the centurion. Do you know what a centurion is? A soldier. He was a soldier, okay? Um, so he meets the soldier. And the soldier 
says, I have a servant who's paralyzed. He's sick. He's paralyzed. The man can't move. And Jesus immediately says, I'll go and heal him. Jesus says, I'll go and heal. But what does this guy do? What does he do? Let's look at this because... One of the things that I think that I that I've talked to you guys before as we go through this, you're gonna see these different characteristics of Jesus. It's the Jesus that we're trying to figure out and learn about. You know, who is this person that we follow? Yes, we say that, you know, we follow him, he died for our sins, he died on the cross, his blood covers us, he's forgiven us, right? But we need to know more. You know, what is his personality like? What is what is he like, what is he doesn't like? So as he takes this journey, we're going to see people that are going to recognize these certain attributes about him. Okay? Um, so this soldier, I mean, he has, he said, I mean, he could have, that could have been it. He could have said, hey, my, my servant's sick, he's paralyzed, he's in terrible pain. You know, can you come and, can you, can you help? And Jesus immediately says, hey, I'll go and I'll heal him. That could have been it. And the guy said, okay, come follow me to my house. But, some, but he does something completely contrary to what most of us would do, right? He actually said, no, I don't deserve you to come to my home. But I understand authority. And I know you are authority. And because of that, he says, all you need to do is just say the word. All you need to do is just say, he's healed, and I know he's going to be healed. And Jesus is completely astonished by this man's faith. Well, so, so what happens? I mean, he, he, the soldier recognizes authority. What is authority? Um, when someone's over somebody and they have the authority. Uh, do you have people under you? Uh, yes. Yes. It works. Okay, right. Do you, are you under someone else? Yes. Okay, so that's how authority works. So let's take you for an example. You understand how authority works. You ask the people under you to do something, regardless of who it is, you say, I need you to do this, and what do you expect to happen for it to be done, right? You say, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And that person, you expect them to go and do that. Well, and at the same time, if he is told, or if you are told to do something, what does the person over you expect? For you to do it. Okay, so this is a soldier. So he understands how authority works. Not only is he under authority, but he has others under him who he has authority over. So he sees Jesus as almost, he looks, he, he, I believe he understands him as he is authority. He is Jesus, so he is authority, and his word Whatever he does has authority over that sickness. So he believed so much that Jesus had the authority that he didn't even have to step in his house. He could, all Jesus had to do was just say a word. He had to believe. He just knew, it's like he, if he just believed enough that Jesus said, I'll heal him, he, that the word itself was sufficient. Why come to my house when you yourself are authority and all you have to do is say, he's healed. Okay, so do you see how he, how he saw this man? 
he 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 portrayed Jesus as someone as an authority. So there's something that you can kind of say, okay, you can check that off. Authority. That's who Jesus was. He he was someone who was in a position of authority, and when someone in, is in that kind of position, you know, we almost expect certain things from that kind of person, but also that person expects certain things from us. So, so that's what he says. He says, you know, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. When I tell someone to go, they go. When I tell them someone to go do this, they do that. You know, and Jesus is astonished. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. I haven't met anybody yet with that much faith. Now remember, he's, he's already given a sermon on the mount. He's already called his disciples. He's probably already interacted with some people, you know. But he hasn't come across anybody with such faith that said, you know what, I believe that your word is strong enough that all you have to do is open your mouth, say the word, he's healed, and you don't even have to step in my house, and I'm going to believe that it is. And Jesus is just astonished. He says, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone, he says, I have not found anyone in Israel um, with such great faith. So this one soldier is um, is accounted with having this great amount of faith, you know, and so what does Jesus do? You know, he, he does kind of give, he kind of explains, you know, he says, hey, look, you know, you're going to have people come from the east and the west, and they're going to, you know, he says, I say that many will come from the east and the west, and they will take their place at the, at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But what's interesting in the next verse, in verse 12, he says, but the subjects of the kingdom. Now, it doesn't say outside people. It doesn't say people outside of the kingdom. But it says the subjects of the kingdom, the people who are already in the kingdom. Because if see if you never notice that, it becomes interesting. He says, the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside. Why? Well, maybe if we kind of see where he's going with this, because he's talking about the amount of faith. How they recognize who Jesus is. You know, um, his place of authority. And... He's saying some of those, because remember if we take this in context of during the time also, who is he, who are the subjects? Who do who you think he's talking about or talking to? Some of these people were probably the Pharisees, Sadducees, those uh, religious leaders, you know. Um, so, but at the same time, let me do make this statement, and I think I've made it before. Um, not all the Pharisees and not all the Sadducees or the teachers of the law or the scribes were all bad people. You know, just the but we see a lot of him confronting those ones who were corrupt. You know, there definitely were some who were who were good. You know, um, but you know, so but what does he do? He says, then Jesus said to the centurion, he said, "Go, it will be done just as you believed it would." So the centurion believed that all Jesus had to do was say he'd heal him, and that's it, or he'd be healed, and he said. That's it. And it says his servant was healed at that very hour. Jesus did not even step into this paralyzed man's room. And he was healed. Why? Why was he healed? Faith. Faith can move a mountain. Right? And we, we've heard that. And it's probably paraphrased. Probably, it's probably somewhere in here. But... Um, but... Faith is huge 
in the eyes of God. Because it took faith for this guy to believe that Jesus could heal him. You know, it took faith for him to believe that not only could Jesus heal him, but Jesus didn't have even have to be in the room with him. It was like almost it was almost this soldier's second nature because he lived this kind of life of being under authority. You know? Um so we see this we're gonna start unraveling this kind of little I guess we're gonna call it a little timeline. Okay? So so now Jesus has come off the mountain, he's healed the man with leprosy. He's healed this. Uh, he's healed the servant of the centurion who is paralyzed. Okay, and now all of a sudden, verse fourteen, um, Jesus heals Peter's. Um, I believe it's mother-in-law. So let's read this little section here. It says, "When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever." He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Okay? So now, not only is he... He has already healed the, le the man with leprosy, and the paralyzed man who was under the ser who was the servant of the centurion, now he has healed Peter's mother-in-law. How did he heal Peter's mother-in-law? He did what? He touched her hand. He touched her hand. That's it. He just went up to her and touched her hand. Done. She's healed, and it says. It says here, it says, he touched her hand and the fever left her. She must have felt pretty good because immediately she got up and she began to wait on them. So now we're starting to see this kind of power that Jesus has. He doesn't have to go and start yelling and screaming and, you know, um... Stomping and jumping around, he. This is someone who we can say probably has maybe full confidence in who he is. Am I right? Jesus was pro very, not probably, but Jesus is very confident of who he is and where he comes from. So when he walks into the room, wherever it might be, he has this presence about him. He has this confidence. And he, when someone's sick, he lays hands. When someone asks, he says, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll heal. I'll come to your home and I'll heal her. You know, so now he's building a reputation. Now, we've talked about this before. Um, people are starting to, people are following this man. I mean, crowds of people, um, you know, think, you know, um, it gets to a point now, even in verse 16, says, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. It didn't say just a few. It said many who were demon-possessed 
were brought to Jesus. Okay? And how does... And what did he do? He says he drove out the spirits with a word. Now, I actually... I didn't get a chance today. I actually meant to go back and figure out what that meant. You know, you, you can go back. If I kind of go... If I were to go deeper into this, I would go back into the Greek and find out what what did word mean in Greek? What were they specifically talking about? Was it some was it a phrase? Was it what did it mean? You know, you can always go back sometimes into the Greek meaning of a certain word and kind of figure out what it's saying. Okay. But you know, it kind of becomes a little intriguing or interesting. First, he doesn't have to go to someone's house to heal him. God just believes. The second, what's he do? He just lays his hand on the mother-in-law. Just lays his hand on her. And demon-possessed, he just said a word. And, and with the word, he healed all the sick and the demon-possessed. Um, and this fulfilled everything from what we would say... Uh, under the old covenant uh, from the prophet Isaiah. Okay, now you can go back and you can look at your Bibles with the little C and the footnotes and everything. So it should be on the bottom. You can see where that comes from. Okay. So, so far, what is this telling you about Jesus? What is this telling you? He is a healer. He is a healer. Yes, definitely. He is, he is very much a healer. Um, what else is it telling you? He's healer. What else? He's always here for us. He's always here for us. What about a characteristic that you're finding out about who he is? Loving. Loving. What about someone who is in authority? Because that's who he is. He, he's a man who's in authority. You know, I mean, think about it. He is, you know this point in time, probably a lot of people had not figured it out or didn't know, but we know now, he is authority, he is king. You know, he is God himself in flesh. Um, so, now, you know, he is, he's doing all these things, and he's beginning to create this reputation. People are beginning to follow him, and not only are they beginning to follow him, they're, they're wanting to leave you know, they're they're just picking up and wanting to leave to follow maybe someone they don't really know a whole lot about, just maybe from seeing certain things. Okay? Um Verse eighteen. And I think this is little section here called the cost of following Jesus. Is there a cost? Is there a cost to follow Jesus? What is the cost? It's like, if you live differently, you can't do everything everybody else does. Okay. What, what else cost? The cost of following Jesus. Okay. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that there was a cost to follow Jesus? Like having rules and stuff? Not, Not necessarily rules, rules but... Okay, let's say... Yeah, Rebecca said time, too. Time? Yeah, it could cost you time. 
You know, because what happens if you're somebody who's really involved in you follow Jesus and really involved in, you know, a ministry. Ministry takes time. But let's look at it like this. The cost of following Jesus. Um, you know, what about somebody who was really popular? Knew a lot of people, had a, um, you know, regardless of the stage of life there, and they just, they had a lot of influence, and they're, they're really popular. People were attracted to them, you know, but then all of a sudden, this person, you know, whatever you want to make this person be, whether you want to make them rich, whether you want to make them um, a genius, they've gone through schools, they've started businesses, they're entrepreneurs, you know, they started these great organizations, everything, everything that you could think of this kind of person, the perfect person, the most successful person, you know, um, and then all of a sudden, this person stops everything they do, and they have this encounter with Jesus. Somebody led them, or somebody introduced that person to Jesus. Okay? Now what's going to happen? What do you think? Okay, tell me somebody famous. Oh. That's the person I was exactly thinking about. Okay. Steve Jobs. Steve what Jobs. Who's Steve Jobs? Why would we all think of that? I don't know. Steve Jobs. Okay. Steve Jobs was pretty much the man behind Macintosh or Apple computers, the Macs. Your iPhones, and he was the man behind it, and it started years ago, probably back year back when I was just born, maybe even a little earlier than that. I can't exactly remember the actual time frame, okay? But someone, and he was famous. He was famous. He had money. He had influence and everything, okay? And if you don't know who Steve Jobs is, think of somebody else you know who is famous, who has, who has influence. Who else would be famous? Oprah. Oprah. Miley Cyrus. <laughs> I mean, I can't stand her, but... But still, okay, I think that's a good example. Miley Cyrus, you know, or, or you know, or Oprah. They're, but you see the influence they have, regardless of however it is. All of a sudden, bam, somebody, somewhere along in their life, they, they encounter Jesus. Okay, somehow someone led them, someone shared with them. Jesus just appeared to them, bam, okay? And they changed their life. They radically were changed, and they did a complete 180, okay? Now, the influence that Miley Cyrus might have or the, and the following of, fa of fan base and everything else that Miley Cyrus might have, if she does a 180, because, see, that's what, that's what, an, that's what an encounter with Jesus is going to do, right? And, and then she did a 180 she again. She'd be unpopular. Okay. Why? Why would she be because unpopular? She's following Jesus and she can't do all the crazy stuff. And the stuff so it comes with the cost. And at that point, it kind of comes with the cost of her popularity. Yeah. Now, she can turn that around, or anybody, whether it was Steve Jobs or any famous person, or you or I, we could probably think of people in, when we're in high school or right now. You know, we could probably think of ourselves. 
you know, uh, it comes at, at, at a cost. I lost, I lost a lot when I started following Jesus. Um, I mean, I lost friends. Um, I had them, I had people come against me like crazy. Uh, just all kinds of things. So it, it, it comes at a cost to follow Jesus. And, and I think a lot of times, have you ever heard, I mean, people, I mean, there have been in the past where maybe uh, people have said, if you follow Jesus, everything will be okay. You know, your bills will get paid. You have a great job. You'll be healthy. You, you, it's almost like it's a false, it's a false gospel type thing. You know, um, you're telling people something that Jesus, all these things that Jesus will fix. You know, have you kind of heard that sometimes? You know, Jesus will fix all this stuff. You know, but I'll be the first one to tell you, it's not a bed of roses. You know, it, it's 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 a it's a fantastic lifestyle. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it hasn't exactly been the easiest. You know, why do you think Jesus said, remember when we talked about the narrow gate and the wide gate, the narrow road and the wide road? Easy is the road that is wide. Everybody enters through it. But narrow is the gate that very few will enter into. Okay? Because it's not so easy. It's not so, you know, it's not kind of like this easy thing to go through. You, it, it takes work. It takes you know, it takes some, it takes things, and it, it is, does count, um, following Jesus does cost us something, and so in verse 18, I want to read this, it says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake, so you had to think that he's at a lake, it doesn't say what lake he's at, but he's at a lake, and think that there's massive amounts of people just massive amounts of people okay and he says we got to cross this lake go cross it well um so then in 19 it says then a teacher of the law came to him and said teacher i will follow you wherever you go now you have to kind of watch these kind of statements because sometimes they can be statements that we can make they can be statements i can make you know i'll follow you wherever you go i'll do whatever you do you know, you see some, you, you know, you have these little encounters or maybe see these, you know, miracles and you're, you're taken by them. You know, so Jesus is saying, well, you need to count the cost in this. So, so what does he say in verse 20? He says, foxes have holes, birds have, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bear their own dead. Okay? Now, that might sound a little confusing. It might go over your head. But basically, in, you know, paraphrase, what is he saying? you got these two people, at least two people, who are jumping on and says, I'm going to follow you. One guy's like, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus has to remind him. He's like, let me remind you. Jesus didn't ever tell him he couldn't follow him. But he says, I need you to understand, I don't live in one spot. I don't, I don't have a place, a comfortable place to live in to rest my head at night, the thing that you're used to. You know, there's no one spot I call home. You know, you might be living outside or, or doing this or doing that. 
Okay? So he kind of has to bring to terms, you know, kind of has to open up. He's like, wake up, you know, before you just jump into this. So telling them if they do follow him, they're giving up something. Exactly. They're giving something up, you know. The other guy says, wait a minute, I want to follow you. I'm going to follow you wherever you go, but I got some things I have to do. My dad passed away, and I got to go take care of these things. And Jesus says, what, what does he say? He says, um, he says, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Where does that mean? You know, I've, I have, it does sound, it almost sounds. What does it say? It says, he says, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. It almost, you know, if you were to say that to somebody, it would almost sound offensive. <laughs> you would start a fight, let the dead bury the dead. But I think, you know, let's think about this. What, what would Jesus be talking about? Because this, the guy says, I'm going to follow you. But wait, I need to take care of some things. Jesus is essentially saying, and hopefully I can get this right, from how I am understanding this. He said, if you're going to follow me, then follow me. And leave these things to deal with themselves. Okay? Does that make sense? You know, let the dead bury the dead, that the dead take care of themselves. You know, we kind of have to think about, well, you know, I, I often wonder who is he talking to at this time. I always tell you we have to also consider who he is during this time frame, the dead bury the dead. If he was seeing the, um, you know, um, these certain groups of people already being dead, you know, feel a sinful life, you know, I don't know. Um, but I kind of take it for now in the sense of just saying, you know what, I can't sit there and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but i got to get these other stuff, all these other things done, because what's going to happen is, and will I follow Jesus? No. So he, he's saying, it, it, it's going to cost you, and, and Kelsey was right, it's going to cost you. There's something you're going to have to give up. And you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to give that thing up and follow Jesus? Or are you going to stick? Are you going to stay with that one thing? You know, he doesn't reprimand it, it from, you know, almost he, he doesn't sound as though he's, he's reprimanding these two people. But he is cautioning them. And I think that's something that we need to um, really consider. You know, I will say this um, for myself. A, a lot of times whenever Jesus asks me to do something, um, the one thing I've always done is I've always counted the cost. If Jesus said, I need you to do this, this, and this, you know, maybe it's a witness to somebody, or maybe it's moving me into a different area of ministry. And I sit down and I count the cost of that. You know, I determine, is this something you know, that I can put 100% in. Because if I can't, and that's what Jesus is saying, you follow me, it's 100%. It's all or nothing. You can't, you can't follow me halfway because you're just, it's just not going to cut it. Okay? Um, does that all make sense? Okay. Uh, we're going to stop there for tonight, and we will continue with... The next one, Jesus Calms the Storm, next Wednesday.